Well, if you have your Bible with you, uh, please turn with me to John chapter 8. And we're going to be looking at verses 31 through 47. Hear now the word of God. And this is John chapter 8, starting in verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? And Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you, you will be free indeed. I know that you are the offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my words find no place in you. I speak of what I have seen from, with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. And they said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. And Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. May the Lord bless the reading of his holy word. Let us pray. Fathers, we come now to this most sacred time when we open up your word to be read, to be declared, explained. We ask, I ask, Lord, that you be with our people today. Lord, that we would... Take from this text what you would have us to take from it, that we would be faithful to its meaning, that we would walk away from this text with conviction of sin, as well as a strengthening of our faith and confidence that you are indeed the Messiah, our Savior, whose name we ask. Amen. Well, I want to start off today by asking you this question. Did you notice anything strange in what we just heard from John? I mean, for the most part, most of what we've heard is fairly simple and straightforward. Jesus said that if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And they answered, well, we are children of Abraham. We've never been enslaved to anyone. What are you talking about? What do you mean we will become free? And then Jesus explains to them how they are enslaved. Everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. He also agreed with them that they were uh, children of Abraham in one sense, but they were not children of Abraham in another sense. 
They were the offspring of Abraham and that they physically descended from Abraham's lineage. But they were not his children spiritually. Rather than do the works that Abraham did out of faith, they were seeking to kill the Messiah. Jesus then reveals who their real father is, the devil. And just as the devil sought to murder in the beginning, so you being his children desire to do your father's will and wanting to kill me. Now, just a little side note here. I, I had to address this because the uh, question is, when did the devil ever murder anyone in the beginning? And I think I've touched on this before. seems like I have, but just in case I haven't. <laughs> when did the devil ever murder anyone in the beginning? Where do we read in Genesis that the devil was walking around bashing people with stones or stabbing people with sticks? Well, we don't. Instead, what we read is that God gave man a law, and then he threatened death upon violating that law. So what does the devil do? He encourages them to rebel against God and against that law. And he lies to Eve. Remember what Jesus said? He does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. So he lies to Eve, telling them, surely you will not die. And so we see the devil was actively seeking the death of Adam and Eve by tempting them to rebel against God and his law. That's why he was a murderer from the beginning. John Gill writes, he was not, he was not only spoken of from the beginning, as he that should bruise the Messiah's hill or should compass his death, but he was actually a murderer of Adam and Eve and of all their posterity by tempting them to sin, which brought death and ruin upon them. And then Thomas Watson writes, murder is a diabolical sin. It makes a man the devil's firstborn, for he was a murderer from the beginning, John 8, 44. By saying to our first parents, you shall not die, he brought death into the world. This, by the way, demonstrates why physical death was a part of the curse, despite some people saying that it wasn't, including the hyperpreterist. Notice again the parallel here in John 8. These Jews were children of the devil. Why? Because they sought to take Jesus' life. And in seeking to murder him, they were, they were fulfilling the, father's, uh, or the desires of their father, the devil, who was a murderer from the beginning. So... End of side note. So Jesus goes on and reveals to them who their father truly is. And then in verse 45, because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Again, it seems pretty straightforward and simple here, doesn't it? Jesus is talking to a group of Jews here who hate him. They want him dead. They will not listen to this Messiah. They will not believe him because they are not of God. So what's the strange part that I was asking about? I'm wondering if you caught it. Well, it's in verse 31. And actually, you can include verse 30, but I was told Enro ended at 30 last week, and I was not here, so that's why I didn't start there in our reading, but you can include verse 30. Listen to what it says. This is how this whole section begins. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. 
This whole section that we read, verses 31 through 47, starts by pointing out that these Jews to whom Jesus is talking to believed him. Yet it ends in verses 45 through 47 with Jesus pointing out that they did not believe him because they were not of God. How is this possible? Did Jesus at some point between verses 31 through 47 switch his audience? Well, no. Again, notice verse 31. Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, and then verse 33, they answered him. Then verse 34, Jesus then answers them. Then verse 39, they answered him again. And then again, verse 39, so Jesus said to them, and then verse 41, they said to him, and then finally verse 42, so Jesus says to them. Nowhere does Jesus leave the group in verse 31 to go talk to another group. It's the same audience throughout this conversation. The Jews who had believed him, verses 30 and 31, are the exact same people, he says in verses 45 through 47, that don't believe him. Now again, how, we, how are we to make sense of that? When Jesus started talking to them in verse 31, did something happen? Did something change? By the time we get down to verse 45? Well, it doesn't appear so. Again, it's all one conversation that probably happened in just a few minutes and so I would say, no, I don't think anything changed. So how do we make sense of it? You know, as I was thinking about this, I remember a few years ago, I think it was in 2018, when I was preaching through James. And at the beginning of that series, I preached on verses 1 through 4. And I spent some time on the words James wrote where he says, James, a servant that is a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. I even titled that sermon, We Are All Slaves. In fact, I even referenced this text from John 8 to make the point that it's not a question of whether or not we are all slaves. The question is, to whom are we a slave? And I made that the point that either you are a slave to Christ or you are a slave to Satan. You will either serve God or you will serve Satan. Now, I still stand by that point that I made back in 2018 because I was speaking of ultimate reality there. That is, at the end of the day, when it's all said and done, you will be revealed as either being one of two types of people, a slave to Christ or a slave to Satan. That's it. There's no other options. There's no middle ground. Ultimately, there are only two types of people. But here in John 8, we see that we can add a third category of people, and we can add this category not because the ultimate reality has changed. It's still true, ultimately, that you're either a child of God or a child of Satan. It's still true that when Jesus returns and renders final judgment, there will only be two types of people, the children of God versus the children of Satan, the wheat versus the weeds, Matthew 13, the sheep versus the goats, Matthew 25. Listen to Jesus in his Olivet Discourse. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. 
and he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. But then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. That's it. You don't read anywhere here in the final judgment of any third category. It's sheep versus goats. It's people on the left, people on the right. Ultimately, there is no spectrum. There is no place for any non-binary nonsense here. You are either a child of God or you're not. However, what we find here in John 8 is that for now, in this life, on this earth, Prior to that final day of judgment, there is another category of people that we can talk about. And that is people who believe, verse 31, but ultimately do not belong to God or to Christ, as revealed in verses 33 through 47. In other words, these are people who make some sort of profession of faith, but don't actually possess true saving faith. Again, keep in mind, the ultimate reality has not changed. It's still the case that either you are a child of God or you're not. And the day is coming when that will be revealed to all. At that point, there's not going to be any more questions about who you are. No one's going to wonder about you. Paul says in Romans 8, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. But what we see here in John 8 is that during this present time on this earth, before that great revealing, there are a category of people who walk around and say that they belong to the children of God, but in reality do not. They say they follow Jesus, but in reality, they don't. They say they are disciples of Christ, but they truly are not. And so what does Jesus say to these people? So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You see that? If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. That Greek word there means truly, means really. It means to be in accordance with truth, to be in accordance with the fact of reality. I don't know if you guys remember, but our late pastor, Dr. T, used to have a podcast show. Do you remember the name of that show? True Believer. That's probably where he got it from. Again, the ultimate reality has not changed. There are those who never profess the faith and don't even pretend to follow Christ. We know plenty of those people. And then there are those who profess the faith and actually walk in it. But there are also those who talk the talk but don't walk the walk. They profess to know God, but their profession is not in accordance with the truth. It's not in accordance with the fact of reality. In reality, they're the same people of the first group who don't even pretend to follow Christ. 
And in the end, they will end up in the, in the same place as those people. Again, in Matthew 7, Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And don't think these are people who at the last minute, who spent their whole lives ignoring Jesus, at the very last minute, it's like, well, let's just say, Lord, Lord. Maybe that'll get us in. It's not who he's talking about here. These are people who went their whole lives thinking they were part of the group. Because it says in verse 22, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many works in your name? These aren't people that are ignoring Christ. But then Jesus will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Furthermore, if you've been paying attention in this John series, you know that we've seen this before already. For example, in John chapter 2, verse 23 says, Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. And then John 6, verse 25 and 20, uh, 26. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? But Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, but not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. So understand something here, beloved. <clears throat> As we have pointed out numerous times, the purpose of this gospel is that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. But understand something. Lest you think that that purpose statement is directed solely to atheists and pagans who never donned the door of a church. John 8 issues a warning to you that this purpose statement is also for those who will sit in the pews every week and attend church, and even claim to be following Jesus, but in reality, don't. That's a pretty scary thought, isn't it? And so you may ask, well, how can we know if that's us or not? Well, I believe you can. In fact, I believe that's one of the main points of this text, of this whole conversation that Jesus is having. Jesus is going to tell us what makes a person a true disciple and child of God. But before we get to that, let's consider some of the telltale signs that a person is not a true believer, even though they may claim to be. As you read this conversation between Jesus and those who believed, you'll notice that these Jews offer up a number of reasons for why they should be considered children of God. The first place you see this is in verse 33. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it you say you will become free? In other words, look where we came from. Look at, look at our heritage. Look at our lineage. Look at who we came from. We're the children of Abraham. And beloved, if you recall, we touched on this same exact issue not too long ago when we went through Romans chapter 9. Paul is addressing the same exact problem there. 
Paul says, I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears witness, uh, bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. They're Israelites. And then he goes on, to them belong the patriarchs and from their race, according to the flesh, that is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever, amen. But it's not as though the word of God has failed, for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel, and not all who are children of Abraham, because they are his offspring, but through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. See, beloved, they thought they were safe from the wrath of God because of who their parents were or their great-grandparents or their great-great-great-grandparents. But in reality, their souls were in danger. Now, notice the second reason given for why they should be considered children of God. They say, we have one father, even God. Here, here they're appealing to their religion. Again, just like in Romans 9, there we read that not only did they claim rights to the kingdom because they were offspring of Abraham, but they also possessed numerous religious privileges. Those privileges Paul listed in Romans 9, the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship and the promises. And make no mistake about it, these were all great things. These came from God. God granted them these privileges. But the point of these privileges was to show them their need for Christ, to drive them to Christ, to drive them to Christ for their justification to drive them to Christ for their salvation from sin and its enslavement that could only come through Jesus Christ. And instead, what they did is they abused those privileges by turning them into reasons to justify themselves. Beloved, I fear for many people in the visible church today. I fear that there are many who presume that God is pleased with them merely because they were born into a Christian family or maybe they got baptized as an infant, maybe because they attend church every week. They, they do all these things and they reason, surely God has noticed everything that I'm doing and I'm going to be all right. I heard this over and over again when we used to go out evangelism explosion back in my original church. We'd go out in teams of three and go knock on doors. Either people would visit the church, or sometimes we just go up to complete strangers. We'd ask them, where, where, where do you believe you'll go when you die? Heaven. Why do you think that? Well, because I grew up in a Christian home. Or, you know, my dad was a pastor. Or I remember I got baptized when I was 10 years old. And I even still go to church. It's like, anything else? No. I think that suffices, don't it? Some people didn't even have that much and still boasted. 
Some say, well, I go to church at least twice a year. I go to Easter and Christmas. So I'm not really that bad of a person. Well, that leads me to a third reason these Jews gave for why they thought they would be justified before God. When Jesus pointed out that they were not doing what Abraham did, but instead doing the works of their father, they said to him, well, we were not born of sexual immorality. Now, why did they say that? It's kind of weird. Well, some believe that what they were doing was they were taking a pot shot at Jesus' birth. Because if you remember, Mary was pregnant with Jesus before he was married, before she was married. So they might have been able, they might be pointing to that and saying, hey, see, at least we weren't sinfully conceived out of wedlock like you were. So in other words, we're morally superior to you and your family. That's one possible reason. I think Calvin explains it a little bit better. I think it fits the context better. He says, They claimed no more for themselves than they did formerly, for it was the same thing with them to be Abraham's children and to be God's children. But they erred grievously in this respect that they imagined that God was bound to the whole seed of Abraham. For they reasoned thus, God adopted for himself the family of Abraham. Therefore, since we are Abraham's descendants, we must be the children of God. We now see how they thought that they had holiness from the womb because they were sprung from a holy root. In short, they maintain that they are the family of God because they are descended from the holy fathers. In like manner, the papists in the present day are exceedingly vain of an uninterrupted succession from the fathers. By sorceries of this description, Satan deceives them so that they separate God from his word, the church from faith, and the kingdom of heaven from the spirit. Let us know, therefore, that they who have corrupted the seed of life are at the farthest removed from being the children of God, though, according to the flesh, they are not bastards, but pretend a right to the plausible title of the church. For let them go about the bush as much as they please. Still, they will never avoid the discovery that the only ground of their arrogant boasting is we have, succeed, we have succeeded the Holy Fathers, therefore we are the church." If the reply of Christ was sufficient for confuting the Jews, it is not less sufficient now for reproving the papists. Never indeed will hypocrites cease to employ the name of God falsely with most wicked effrontery, but those false grounds of boasting on which they plume themselves will never cease to appear ridiculous in the eyes of all who shall abide by the decision of Christ." So we see here in this text the various justifications these Jews gave for why they should be embraced as the real deal, the children of God. They could appeal to their lineage, they could appeal to their religious practices, and they could appeal to some sort of moral superiority. But none of that works in the courtroom of God. None of it. To their lineage, Christ says, I know that you're the offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. And then he says, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. To the religious practices, Christ says, if God were your father, you would love me. 
For I came from God, and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father the devil when your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. And then to their moral superiority, Christ says to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Well, if none of these things could necessarily be pointed to as signs of being a true disciple of Christ, then what does? Well, Jesus answers that in verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Two observations. First, I believe the key word here is abide. That word means to continue a certain state, a condition, an activity, to remain to stay, to reside. And then notice the contrast in verse 34. How is it that you say you will become free? And Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. See the contrast? Those who practice sin make make a habit of sin. It's their life versus those who abide in Christ and in his word. Calvin writes, Here Christ warns them in the first place that it is not enough for anyone to have begun well if their progress to the end do not correspond to it. And for this reason he exhorts to perseverance in the faith those who have tasted of his doctrine. When he says that they who are firmly rooted in his word so as to continue in him will truly be his disciples, he means that many profess to be disciples who are not yet so in reality and have no right to be accounted such. He distinguishes his followers from hypocrites by this mark, that they who falsely boasted of faith give way as soon as they have entered into the course, or at least in the middle of it. But believers persevere constantly to the end. If, therefore, we wish that Christ should reckon us to be his disciples, we must endeavor to persevere. And to quote a more contemporary theologian, John Piper writes, Abiding in the word of Jesus means remaining in that force field of the word. It means not leaving it. Abide means not ceasing to be persuaded by its truth and never elevating any other truth above it. Abide means not ceasing to be attracted by its beauty and value and never seeing anything as more beautiful or more valuable or more attractive than the word and the Lord that it reveals. Abide means not ceasing to rest in its grace and power, never turning away as though greater peace could be found somewhere else. Abide means never ceasing to eat and drink from the word as the bread of heaven and the living water, as if life could be sustained anywhere else. 
And abide means never ceasing to walk in the light of the word, as though any other light could show the secrets of life. This is what it means to be a true disciple. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And then lastly, notice this. Jesus said, if you abide in what? In my word. The Greek there is singular. That's why they translate it word and not words. I believe that Jesus said word and not words for the same reason we talk about the truth and not truths. That is, the truth, the word, contains all of what God reveals. It's one comprehensive thought in the mind of God. But as that truth of God is revealed to us, creatures bound by time and space, we get it in pieces. So you could say, in some sense, there are truths or words. But in reality, it's all one truth. The truth. And it's one word. And thus, it embraces all of what Christ teaches us. And so we're not at liberty to abide in only those parts that we like. We are to embrace and and to continue and to do all of what Christ has taught us. Again, recall the Great Commission in Matthew 28. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is what marks a true disciple, a true believer. Do you abide in all that he teaches Do you remain in it? Are you persuaded and never ceasing to be persuaded of the truth and of Christ? Are you never ceasing to rest in him? Are you never ceasing to eat and drink from him in all his word? Or are you the type of person who, as soon as you walk out of the doors of this church, you'll just go on with your life as if none of it matters? The thought of God, the thought of his word, his law, his commandments, none of it factors into your daily life. Oh, you'll continue coming to church for whatever reasons. I don't know if it's to please your parents or to please your husband or your wife or your boyfriend or your girlfriend. Maybe you think somehow that's going to get you some brownie points in the end. That along with the fact that, you know, you grew up in a Christian home and you have Christian friends. But beloved, what does your daily life say about your profession? Especially in those moments when no one else is looking. Put aside for a moment stuff coming out of your mouth, what you claim. What do your actions say? Many claimed to have believed Jesus only to reveal themselves as frauds in the end because they would not embrace his word they would not embrace the truth and they would not abide in it that's the distinction that Jesus makes here in John chapter 8 
Let us pray.